On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to episode 19 of the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll podcast. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus in the Darkest, and we welcome you to another episode. This time, we're going to explore John Lennon's Lost Weekend, uh, an episode suggested by our listener and my pal, Brandon Peckman. And um, he's one of those guys that binge listens. He may not catch up for a few weeks because he's busy. And then all of a sudden, bam, he's talking to me about all the other episodes. So thanks to Brandon and thanks to our sponsors, our buddies at Crooked Eye Brewing in Hapro, where we will be appearing live July 23rd for our first ever podcast party. Are you ready for that, man? I can't wait. We're going to be talking about our five favorite or most important high school albums that we yeah. listen to. And then we're going to be busting out on Jimi Hendrix, and I can't wait to talk about him. All the details, in case you need them, are available on uh, our Facebook event. If you go to the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll Facebook page, uh, you'll see the event there. Click through and get all the details. 7 o'clock, July 23rd. And we want to see you there. And uh, bring your list, because it'll be fun to hear what your five favorite high school albums were as we uh, do a little bit of that, record a couple episodes, and... Uh, that's what we're doing here for episode 19. Can you believe it? 19 episodes down, Ray. Holy and number 20. Cow. And number 20 is going to be to celebrate uh, with our, our listeners at Crooked Eye. It should be a whole lot of fun. Heck yeah. Doing a recording, a podcast, drinking some beer, talking about vinyl and Jimi Hendrix. Oh, yes. Yeah. That should be fun. At Crooked Eye. Well, this week we're talking about John Lennon's Lost Weekend, which is uh, I, I, generally it refers to an 18-month period when he and Yoko were apart. I guess we got to go back to what was going on before that. John and Yoko had uh, been living in New York, and uh, according to May Pang, who uh, is involved in the story, uh, they she had helped them move uh, multiple times until they got settled at the Dakota. She was an employee of Alan Klein's, who was managing uh, Beatle Affairs in those days, and and um, things weren't going so well in the uh, Ono Lennon household. Is that a safe thing to say? I would say that's very accurate to say. And from Yoko Ono's perspective during that time period, they were spending way too much time together. Everything they did, they did together, including going to the bathroom. It was brushing teeth. It was everything together. Like he had never been so entranced or enthralled by somebody so deeply, and he wanted to spend every single second with her. So, Well, I think uh, Yoko's account is similar. Uh, other people who worked for them, friends, uh, photographers like Bob Groen, other people like that, all concur that they were inseparable. And um, that's just how it is sometimes when people are soulmates and creative soulmates, too. Mm -hmm. There's a creative side to the trouble, aside from the fact that John had uh, been drinking a lot 
and uh, general consensus, taking uh, drugs too much or too often, something like that. But there's also an element uh, amongst the consensus that I've come across of their friends that they were different creative places. Yoko was always uh, pushing John, and he wasn't necessarily in a to-be-pushed mood, I guess, at that time about creation. I don't know whether they just weren't as compatible creatively as artists as they'd seemed to be since the moment they started hanging out, and as you pointed out, were inseparable. Which, you know, it's uh, crazy that so many people blame that relationship on the demise of the Beatles, but you really can't look at the four strong personalities uh, that were in that band. I, mean, I just finished Ken Mansfield's book, The Roof, the one we've talked about before yeah. on the podcast, and, and I'll tell you, his recollection was that they were all so strong and that there was no one, uh, that, as far as he could tell, that was directly responsible. The four of them were, and... Yoko referenced it. Larry Kane in his book, uh, Lennon Revealed, talked to Yoko and she talked about being the most hated person in the world and how that felt and how it worked. And I think that was part of why John's dedication was so full on. It makes a lot of sense. The whole world's against you and criticizing her for the demise of the Beatles. But if the four Beatles would have had a press conference and said Yoko had nothing to do with the breakup, the world would not have given a flying fuck and they would have still hated her. I think I can't come up with any valid argument to counter that, so we'll just go with that. I think I, you're right. I, I think seriously you're right. believe that. And I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think you're right. And it's pretty crazy, but I also think that were John Lennon still alive, the band would have reunited for Live Aid. I really believe that. And I just came up with that idea or opinion during reading this Lost Weekend stuff and what I read about him. It came out as silence, but in my mind I was saying, what? <laughs> But we can go back to that because we do have to talk about the weekend. Yeah, well, it started of interesting because aspects. of all the uh, they were having. They weren't on the same page. They weren't uh, maybe weren't even the same book for a little point there. And uh, John was drinking a lot. And I think uh, in both his books, Larry kind of pointed out that those were times when John could flip to the to the bad boy and get a little dark and belligerent. And um, there was the night uh, Nixon beat McGovern. And uh, she was. She told Larry about this. And John was extremely drunk and took a girl into the next room and made noisy love, or made love noisily, as I wrote here, so that it was uncomfortable for everybody at the party that was watching the results come in. Uh, someone played a record to kind of mask it, but it was very loud. And in the same room as everybody's coats. What? Oh, my God. That dude was out of control at times. One woman braved the scene and went in and got her coat, and then one by one people did, and they all left except for Yoko and an assistant, not May Pang. Maybe that's it. Maybe they were just, you know, always too close together and things were happening and it wasn't good. So um, Yoko kind of made the decision that, you know, uh, he should uh, take some time. They should take some time apart and that he should get a girlfriend. And it kind of freaked them out. I'm sure he looked at her and went, what? I think the response that John gave was, I don't want to lose you. And her reply was, this is according to Larry Kane, uh, we'd lose each other if we stayed together. So I told him to go. And um, Lennon hadn't been a solo act ever, really, because when he came out of the Beatles, he was with her right away. And we talked about the proximity. And that's where they were. 
in the fall of 73. John actually described it in this article by called Lenny Letter, which kind of gave Yoko's perspective a little bit more. It was like being sent to the desert. I was on a raft alone in the middle mm. of the universe. Talk about somebody enveloping your world. Holy cow. She totally enveloped him from head to toe yeah. and everything in between. Like that connection was so intense. So she suggests May Pang and initially... John's like, oh, no, not her. And it was, what's the Shakespeare line? Methinks thou dost protest too much. And so she she just kind of said, well, that kind of seals the deal. The thing is, I think she thought it was just going to be a minor dalliance little thing here and that it would be over soon. And then it went on a little longer than uh, she thought and maybe starting to cause her even more anxiety and pain over it, you know, than over the relationship. And, of course, May would report in. Maybe a couple times she called crying because John wasn't being nice and she didn't know what to do. So one time I, I read this. I kind of was reviewing. La- I've been rereading Larry's book about this part. I'm going to have to read this book. Um, I just brought you a copy. So yep. She actually asked May to come and stay with her at the Dakota that night because John needed to sleep it off. And it, John kept saying, you're going to take me back and you know, take me back. And why can't you, th-? you know, all that. And she didn't think it was time and um, that she thought it was too soon to work if she did and I don't know I I, I think maybe she felt like it was going to end if they didn't take this break and then John hit rock bottom and uh, what are you going to do hit rock bottom get up dust yourself off and move forward theoretically ideally hopefully at the start of the mind games record yoko has a talk with may pang she said you know we're not getting along he's going to be seeing other people may gives oh i'm sorry about that you know a standard response you might give to uh, somebody you work with or a friend and she says how about you and she was very resistant at first and uh, yoko told her i think you'd be good for him and pauline sutcliffe um, her brother was in the band Stu in the early days, right? He left uh, early on, but she said that May was a dedicated woman making every day special and nourishing for John. And I think that's what had been lacking, perhaps, uh, as of late in the relationship with Yoko. So she's basically going to say, okay, and they start to fall in love. And I don't think anybody, including especially the two of them, expected that. What do you say? That wasn't expected, but it happened. They spent a lot of time together. I mean, she was with him when he dissolved the Beatles. Right, and they said... His signature was the last one to dissolve the Beatles. And she was reluctant at first... And, and her fellow Apple staffers, the, the people who worked in the offices, were stunned, I guess, because she was it was so unlike May. She was a very button-down kind of person. Um, and then off they go to Los Angeles. The Lost Weekend actually begins. And uh, they head out there in the fall of uh, 73. And if John had problems drinking when he was in New York, he, it didn't end in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta understand, when he got there, he started hanging with all the people who were the right people. Namely, Harry Nielsen and became fast friends. And um, He ended up producing a Harry Nielsen record during that time period. See? They were close. And that meant bending elbows together. Now, also at the same time, we have a group that that plays around now here in the 21st century called the Hollywood Vampires. But there was an an actual celebrity drinking club formed by Alice Cooper in the 70s. You know what the hazing was to get into the club? No. You had to outdrink all the members. If you couldn't do that in a sit-down, you didn't get in. Holy. The original members, are you ready? Keith Moon. What? <laughs> Ringo Starr. 
What? Now, can you imagine trying to outdrink Keith Moon? I just had a thought no. about that. No. Mickey Dolans and Harry Nilsson, which is how John kind of got introduced to the gang. Same night or every night, same people going different bars, hanging out. Mm. And every now and then he would come, John would come and join them. Or Keith Emerson was also an honorable member uh, of the thing. Other people who are participants, uh, members, if you will, John Belushi, Mark Boland from T-Rex, who we referenced in our mm-hmm. last episode. Keith Emerson, they mentioned him on the list. Mal Evans from Apple Corps, right? Bernie Taupin. Elton's buddy. Klaus Vorman and Joe Walsh. Uh, so you've got this large drinking circle. People want to be in that circle. And John Lennon's a natural. First off, he's been drinking a lot, and uh, he's hanging with all these guys. I mean, those are seriously some big drinkers, serious partiers. Let's talk about the president of the Hollywood Vampires for a second, Alice Cooper. You know, he quit drinking. Did they dissolve in when the he 70s. quit drinking? No, but he, he fell back. And when he fell back, this is in the 80s. He's been talking about this lately. His doctor told him in no uncertain terms, if you don't quit drinking for good this time, you're going to end up just like all those other Hollywood vampires. Now, you got to look at the list at that point. You'd already started to lose people, right? You're talking about Belushi, mm-hmm. and you're talking about uh, Keith Moon, and maybe by then Harry Nielsen and Mark Bolin, and all of a sudden, yeah, you don't want to be on that part of the list, right? True. Anyway, that's a little aside about my pal Alice. And I'm glad that he's good. He says he's addicted to golf now, and that's fine by me. That's a good addiction. Come play with us sometime, Alice. Yeah, we'll hit with you. (sighs) We'll hit with you in Phoenix. Have clubs, we'll travel. So in the middle of this, in this period where uh, John and May are in Los Angeles, um, they have some infamous incidents. Um, And uh, May was having a hard time keeping things on a straight and narrow as close as you could. And Harry Nilsson was one of the main co-conspirators. And it led to the thing we were talking about before we started recording. Oh, the uh, Smothers Brothers incident. This story is absolutely crazy. It is. They go, Harry Nilsson, John Lennon, get drunk, go see the Smothers Brothers perform. Now, the Smothers Brothers were doing a live TV show, recorded live TV show. And they would record every week. And it would be on, I think CBS had it on at the time and in case people don't know and so it was a live tv show and tommy and um um, what was the other brother dickie were hysterically funny while being straight face kind of thing so all smashed out harry and john go to the taping what happened they started heckling the smothers brothers right off the bat and then the bouncer or the uh security security for the security for either the smothers brothers or the tv station got involved and then john ended up getting into a fight with them and they ended up getting thrown out Now, that's one of the bad ones. There was a time uh, where John was allegedly threw May around a little bit. That prompted phone calls to Mother back in New York. Yep. And then, as usually was the case when John was mean or cruel, he was immediately contrite and childlike in his regret and recognized that he was wrong. One night where things really got out of hand, I guess the Troubadour, the folk club in in L.A., was one of their regular haunts with the Hollywood vampires. And John, who had been having, I think they were drinking Brandy Alexander's that night. I don't know how I know that, but I think I read that somewhere. And the, the Brandy Alexander was going pretty heavy. And he returned from the men's room after a short detour into the ladies' loo with a sanitary napkin taped to his forehead. And I think that got him thrown out of there. (laughs) But when he was there, he also reconnected with Julian. And there was a famous trip to Disneyland uh, with Cynthia Wen. He kind of ignored her. And May gave him crap for not being nicer to Cynthia, you know, in front of Julian especially, I suppose, you know. And it's interesting that he had to rekindle that relationship with Julian because Julian seemed like a really good dude. 
a lot different than his father, and I feel bad for him because there were rumors of uh, John throwing Cindy around as well. Yeah. And that, my guess, is probably tied Never to his good. drinking as yeah, well. Yeah, probably. And, and the problems he had to deal with from his childhood. So he had a lot of issues there. Not making any excuses for him, but just trying to paint a picture for you so that we can all understand. But again, it's I'm glad that May was instrumental in helping him salvage his relationship with Julian. Very important, or, or reconnecting. Yeah, there's always good things if you make good things happen. And John was a good person. He cared greatly for the world. He cared for the people around him. Very much. But sometimes he would get lost. And I think we all have our moments where we're not our 99% of the time self. It's just, it's hard to understand. Here's a guy who was had everything, right? Everything, literally, including, whatever he wanted. Including a world full of problems that started back from when he was a child. So, you know, there, I always cut him a little bit of slack. And then over the years, we heard more and more. Some of the stories weren't true, and some of the stories were proven to be true. And But a lot, it, it shows you the depths of what being a deep, heavy, everyday, strong drinker can do to you as a person. It doesn't solve it. And it didn't solve it for him. However, we do want to thank our sponsors who do preach moderation. Talking about our friends at Crooked Eye Brewery, we thank them for their sponsorship of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll podcast. And we're going to see them, and we hope you'll come to see us too, on July 23rd, 7 p.m., our first ever podcast party, Marcus. I know, I'm so psyched for this. It's going to be a blast hanging out, talking to people, getting people to share their five favorite and five most important high school albums with us. We'll be talking about Jimi Hendrix. We'll be drinking some great beers. And I got to tell you, our, our friends at Crooked Eye have been our sponsor now for uh, a few weeks and we thank them so much for their support as we get ready to uh, do our 20th episode live from the brewery on the 23rd. They're right at 13 East Montgomery Avenue in Hapro and then when you stop by you're going to feel like part of the gang right away. It's that kind of place you feel real comfortable. Paul and Paul or brothers-in-law, they started Crooked Eye in their kitchen. That's pretty cool. Heck and, yeah. and it's growing all the time and it's all about the people, you know? You get to meet some new friends as well yeah. as bring your old regular, bring your friends in, meet new people, and you get to meet Chief Brewer Jeff Mulheron, whose tasty brews include the Boro Blonde Ale and a personal favorite, the Regimental 80. I love it. <laughs> and their Crooked IPA is pretty darn good, too. Anything on the board, and there's always something new and different on the board, and, but the uh, Crooked IPA is a standard there. It's not over hop, so if you don't like too much hoppiness, you can still have a beautiful Crooked IPA, rich golden color and aromas of citrus and pine. Stop in for a taste of what else Jeff has been brewing, serving nightly in the heart of Hapro Crooked Crooked Eye is the cure for what ails you since 2014. And there's more to the fun at Crooked Eye than just the brews. You can check the website, crookedeyebrewery.com, for a full list of music events and other fun scheduled each month, including our event, July yes. 23rd, our live podcast recording, which you, if you attend, will be a part of. Yeah. Great brews, great people, and fun times. Next time you want a true craft brewery experience, stop by for a pint and make it Crooked Eye. I always do. Well, that we thank them for their support of us here on the uh, Imbalance History of rock and roll podcast hey pantheon listeners christian swain here you caught me just finishing up some editing on getting real with john and beth i want to share my first experience with factor meals for you i think you'll find this interesting because i bet the same thing happens to you i had just received my first shipment from factor meals the other day and i was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant quality meals for myself Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, 
I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. We were talking a little bit earlier about the creative disconnect between John and Yoko. And Tony Bramwell said he didn't think Yoko quite understood the fun surrounding the Beatles and their scene. Now, that could be a factor, too. It was always that fun, crazy atmosphere. And he said, I think she stifled him. Some friends said Lennon was as happy as he'd been in the post-Beatles era during his time prior to 1975. And while Yoko reigned him in, May let him run free with his friends. A real contrast. So that could have maybe sparked or allowed things to get out of control when he was out in L.A. I mean, that makes sense when you have somebody not there telling you no or, hey, use your head or anything like that. Right. It could definitely have an impact on you as far as the decisions you make and she was his wife so right and then so march 74 they come back from la and there's talk of him reuniting with yoko uh he and may set up in an apartment on the east side uh for the remainder of the time that they'd be cohabitating but by then she was deeply in love with john and uh john kept calling yoko and a number of friends have verified that he kept calling you know asking to come home I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he was definitely deeply connected to Yoko, and we saw that throughout the time in the 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. So February 1st, 1975, or right around there, John moves back to the Dakota. And October 9th, 1975, Sean Ono Lennon is born, and maybe she and John had connected before he moved back because that's only eight months. You follow me? He had called her countless times in a year and a half asking to come home. And the first time she told him, yes, he did. And he never went back to May, even though they remain secretly friends uh, until his death. And um, they had, I guess, at that point, had to keep their friendship, whatever level it was at at that time, kind of secret from Yoko, I suppose. Interesting. But you know what? I was reading in the uh, Lost Weekend uh, from Yono's perspective in the Lenny article is that during the time he moved back in, according to Yoko, it ended when he and Elton John performed Whatever Gets You Through the Night at Madison Square Garden. To settle their bet. Yep. And John didn't know Yoko was in the audience. And she said that she saw a very lonely person up on stage there and that she he needed her and like her soul suddenly saw his soul. So she went backstage. That's, I, that's, I don't know. That's what? A, that's according to her. What? I know. That's according to her. I'm like, I read that and I was like, what? Well, I got to look into it. Well, I got to look into it. I got to look into it because if I got to find out what that date was in 1975 and do a podcast update on that because I think if it was Thanksgiving 74, that would be one thing, but I don't know what the, the year was. If it's 75, it was that's the end after... of 74, I think. I'm okay. not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure. We'll have to look up that All date. Right. And, and that would, I'm looking at the timeline 
line in my head, and that might make sense, but maybe that's the moment when she realized that she had to be back in his life and wanted to wanted to have him back and realized she was missing him too. And to see him on stage, he, apparently, if you've ever heard the performance, uh, I have it on vinyl, of uh, them performing that at that show with Elton John, uh, John was having fun. He was having fun. And maybe she saw the guy that she knew as a fun-loving guy and started to think of it. Because if that's, that's the timeline, she asked him to move back in within weeks or months. And then Sean and was prevails. born. Yep. And the lovebirds continue their journey on. And they did. Yeah. I mean, through, and it really did lead to Sean, who uh, has become fantasy. quite a, an impressive artist in his own right, by the way. Yeah, he does a lot of stuff with the Les Claypool I now. I love that the, band. The Lennon Claypool Delirium. It's delirious. It's insane. It's so trippy. But yeah, very intelligent, very quirky. He's got a lot of both of his parents in him in that way. Yeah. You know, one thing I didn't know before we started researching for this podcast, you know the song Number Nine Dream? Yeah. Oh, it's one of my favorites. In fact, that's the song, the first song I played on the radio uh, the morning after John Lennon was killed, Number Nine Dream. It's May Pang's voice, not Yoko. Whoa. I always thought it was Yoko's voice. When you call out my name, John, you know, it was May, not Yoko. I never knew that. I still think that they were having sex until he died in I don't know I'm nothing. I wasn't you. there. You say whatever you want. And I will also say <laughs> the fact that she was more, they were more open about that type of stuff. I think they both had a better understanding of their natures as people. And they yeah. accepted them, including yeah. their flaws. They accepted the whole them, the flaws, the good, everything together as a package. And obviously both of them knew what they were getting into. It'd be nice if more people could do that because I think more relationships would last longer. I agree with that 100%. Well, you don't have to be like those two. You don't have to uh, no. participate in the same activities they may be doing. There are certain aspects that we can all learn. Yes. And again, one of the interesting things about the marriage in the article that one of the articles that I read is time is the simplest metric of marital success. The other measures, joy, love, and fulfillment are all too unwieldy. They're like uh, combustible, I guess you could say, hot wow. and cold. I know we're getting all bongosophical on this. Yeah, episode. man, your bongosophila is way over the top, man. What? Here, <laughs> here, smoke this and listen. Well, that kind of uh, no, but all that energy that we're just talking about there, kind of coming out of that, kind of uh, is a good way to wrap up. That doesn't involve who played with what and who played on which record. It's really just about how the the whole thing comes out, and 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 the way that they came out was feeling a, a love and peace that they thought now they had to set everything right and they thought it would last you know as long as they were both live not knowing that john only had a few more years because of what happened in 80 yeah i know can you believe it holy cow well, listen, it's always great to get together and talk about this stuff. And I, I just realized this is our 19th episode. And our next episode is going to be uh, recorded live in front of a studio audience uh, with participation at our sponsors, Crook and I Brewery in Hapro in Pennsylvania. We invite you to join us there on the 23rd. And uh, we'll be catching you there for our next episode. Number 20. We're right there on the edge. Number 20 and number 21 will be done that night. 
Thanks to Crooked Eye for their support of us here on the Imbalance History Podcast. Go to our website, imbalancehistory.com. Uh, you can check out the episodes, the blog, and you can also leave comments and be in touch with us that way. Uh, it'll come right to our imbalancedhistory at gmail.com inbox if you go in through the website, too. So uh, stay in touch. Follow us on Facebook. Tell them where they can. Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll on Facebook. Or you can hit both Ray Kube and myself on Twitter, Ray Kube Radio and Marcus in Darkus. Yeah, stay so, in touch because... Stay- you know, we're learning from you guys, too, yeah. now. Uh, yeah. A lot of people are telling us good information about things that we're discussing, uh, and we love the feedback, especially if you can tell us uh, something where we're wrong, because we like to learn, too. Absolutely. Love learning, and if you can help fill in holes, even better, because there's so many holes, so many extra branches yeah. that are included in these rock and roll trees that you know, we know, we all know a little bit of something, and together, hopefully, we can learn a lot. Well, Again, so- bong us off. Yeah, oh, I was going to say. Yeah. Well, Well said, my bongosophical friend. Let's get on out of here. That's it for this episode, number 19 of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. We'll catch you next time. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. We'll see you next time on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.